Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of Masters in Marketing Agency Podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Scott Ellis, the president of Adworthy, a marketing agency that focuses on using first-party data for new customer targeting and acquisition. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. So we were obviously talking a little bit before this, uh, had some very good conversations about kids and everything. Uh, not that I have kids, but, um, and we were, we actually got into the conversation or the topic of the difference between working from home and working from the office, obviously sparked from the pandemic. Um, but you went through a lot doing that. And, and I just want to get your thoughts on kind of not only what the difference has been, but what you think it's going to look like moving forward. Not sure. Um, yeah, no, I think it was an interesting period, Josh, and I use interesting probably as a, as a bad word there, but there were a lot of challenges that came from the pandemic. Obviously, from our standpoint, everybody ended up working from home, um, and now we're, we're facing sort of the, the new, new reality of, okay, what does that transition back into the office look like? I think from our perspective, you know, we, the, the certainly is a huge amount of benefits from working from home, and I think from an employee standpoint, it, there's, there's definite benefits. I think the one area, and I'm not advocating for five days back in the office, and I'm not you know, necessarily advocating from completely remote. I think it depends on the industry that you work in and the job type that you do. But I think the big area that that we we have seen an impact in is knowledge transfer. How do you how do you sort of still cultivate that ability for the organic conversations to happen that really don't happen as naturally when you're on a Zoom call or you're on Teams? And so I think that's the We've got sort of this hybrid approach now where our development and data teams are back in probably two, three days a week working as a team. Um, our analysts and front-end client teams are in a little bit less than that, but we have sort of regular team meetings. But it's really how do we continue to, to foster that learning and development that you get from overhearing conversations? I mean, it's, it, it's probably an overused analogy, but that sort of water cooler discussion how do you try and recreate that in a virtual environment? And it, it's too black and white to say you can't. It's, it's going to be different and it's going to be different, I think, based on the job that you do, <clears throat> the, the level within an organization that you are. But I do think that one of the things that all businesses have to think about going forward is how do you take the knowledge that has been quite acquired over years of an organization and try and make sure that that is passed down or used in a way that can benefit people who are joining the organization at whatever level, because you have years of experience that you don't want to lose that. So that really, I think, is the, the balance that we've been trying to, to strike. Do we always get it right? I'm, I'm sure the, the guys that work with us will say, no, we do try. Um, but it, it's really, I think that is, you know, we've got a, a good model right now. And I think we just continue to try and evolve it, understanding that, yeah, we're not gonna go back to how we were previously, but we still want to make sure that as a as an agency and as a company that very much focuses on on knowledge and learning um, that we still continue to kind of foster that environment. So what about the companies that, you know, like, let's call it that it's too late for them. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, the company I actually work for now was started during the pandemic and we're so remote that, you know, my morning calls, there's someone from China, Europe or like London, uh, Boston, United States, Miami, like just everywhere. Um, and it's not like we have the choice of an office. Would you, is there anything that you would recommend a team like that to still bring this, you know, knowledge base together? Like, I think those, you know, that kind of example is, is hard, um, because you do have such a, a remote nature of that team, but it, I think trying to foster sort of 
informal communication. And again, it's not trying to recreate, you know, we're, not, we're not, probably not going to go off onto a metaverse discussion because that would be a, a massive tangent at this point. But I, it's how do, you, how do you at least nurture periods of time where people can kind of kick back and relax a little bit, but still have conversations around the, the business area that you're in um, and maybe just look to sort of, you know, challenge conventional wisdom. Because it's very easy. We all do it. You get into that mode of you deal with what's in front of you. And oftentimes, I think in, in any walk of life, it's helpful to sort of kick back. And then how do you find a way to, to recreate a, a more informal environment, you know, that way you can have sort of a, an organic conversation around things that aren't focused specifically on getting a task done at that point in the day? Yeah, I think when people, I, I agree, I think when people jump on calls uh, and meetings, it it's should, you know, they think that it should be 100% on topic. And uh, when you're in person, that's just not usually the case. Um, when I was, when I came from the sales world, there was like a five-step process. And the first step was always build rapport, uh, then ask questions, and then and then the last three. And I, I noticed that that is good for everything, not just sales. Um, the question that I actually want to ask, is there like, too much of the building, especially in a meeting, right? Like you have 30 minutes in a meeting uh, or an hour or whatever it is. Uh, I'm a talker. I'm a blabber. Uh, we, we talked for like 30 minutes before this call even started. Is there, is, there, does, is there a limit? Does it get annoying? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to answer that question because <laughs> I like you know, developing that relationship. Right, exactly. And, and I think, you know, so some of it is, depends. I think it's, I mean, again, all these things depend, obviously, but it depends on what is the other person on the call want. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it's like in whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, it's what are their needs? Because again, some people aren't comfortable talking. They have a very specific business goal they need to solve. And really, they might not want to talk to you for 30 minutes. They might want to establish in five minutes, can this person or this organization help me? Yes or no. Your job is as a sales or a marketing person is to get their attention and get to that, yes, we can help you, but then buys you the next five minutes. So I think it's very easy to, to pitch somebody and, and hope that, they, you know, that, that you're getting the points. But how do you elicit from them what it is that they want from that call, what it is they're really looking to do, um, and also understand their role in a buying decision? I mean, oftentimes, you'll speak to someone who's really a gatekeeper. They're qualifying 20 yeah. different providers to get down to a list of five. Okay, that's a different conversation to the person who's then, when you've got down to the list of five and they know in detail what it is they want, that becomes a different conversation again. So I think it's, it, it, it's really looking for those social cues, which are often harder in a remote environment, even on a video call than they are in person. It's being very attuned to what are those cues and are you adding value to their day and not just getting through your list of to-dos. I, I just always feel like I have to balance uh, when I need to stop talking about things I want to talk about the most uh, and, and then finally get into business. But uh, okay, so on that note, uh, let's take a step back and can you just tell me a little bit more about the firm, how you got into it, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So Adworthy's been around since sort of um, 2000, really probably the or 2010 or so was when it focused in sort of the, the agency-ish type model that we have today. Um, I was essentially the, the second employee into Adworthy, but I actually worked with Adworthy and the founder of Adworthy at the very outset. We were a client of, of his and Adworthy's, um, and that was around an SEO project. <clears throat> and I think what really sort of appealed to me at that time and is very much in the, the DNA of the firm that we are today 
is very much a focus on data and a, a data informed approach to what was what we were looking for at the time. So again, that specific example was really we were looking for someone to help us with SEO. I was introduced to to Alan, um, and the way that the we the approach was was wasn't sort of jargony or algorithmic. It was look, it's very simple. People use words. So are you are you listening in a in a word sense to the words that they use, and then how do you align your website, your offering with what it is that people want, as opposed to just projecting what you want to tell people? So that was sort of the genesis of of me, not only getting sort of curious and working with Adworthy before I sort of came on board shortly thereafter, but also looking at the impact that that something like that has because it extends well beyond just a website. It's it's all forms of communication. So whilst it's easy to look at it and kind of say, okay, what does AdWorthy do or what's the focus and say, oh, well, it's about a website or it's about a paid search campaign. It's actually not. It's probably the best voice of customer data that doesn't get used today because people are telling you by the words that they use, by the images that they respond to, what it is they really want. And the question then becomes, you know, from that, how responsive are you as a firm to their wants and needs? And then how does your, you know, your whole customer journey align with that? So that was sort of the, the jumping off point for, for Adworthy as a whole. <clears throat> the, the thing that's a little bit different about us as a firm is that we never wanted to be a, a big agency. So we're very much sort of a specialist optimization agency that is data-informed, data-driven, um, that has really used all of our client engagements as opportunities to learn as well as to service clients, and then use that to fund the software applications that we've you know, multiple 25-plus applications now that ultimately are forming a platform called Augmetrics that we're now using as sort of the, the front end of our go-to-market strategy. So we're at a, a fairly interesting intersection in our history of, for the last 10 years now, we've, we've been building different applications and looking to start that switch from client-focused, heavily service-driven, lots of client calls into something that is more customer-centric, where we have tools that help marketers and help businesses as a whole, to be honest with you, get the right information from which decisions can be made or to give them the, the actual decision itself. Was there, a, was there a time that made you, or a time or a meeting or a statement or something that made you want to go from more of an agency model to essentially a software model? Um, lots, not all of which I can probably repeat on this podcast. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think part of it is, you know, obviously scale is, is a key question. How do you scale? And I think one of the things that all agencies battle with is it, we're typically heavily service-driven. There's a decent amount of, of handing, holding of clients and not even necessarily the clients that pay you the most money. Oftentimes it can be smaller clients to take up an exp exponential amount of your time against the revenues that you generate. So I think from our standpoint, it's there are only a, a, small, a very small percentage of firms that I think line up with the services that we offer because we are so focused. So, um, you know, we were very much focused on business outcomes and, and around sort of make money, save money and gain market intelligence. And a lot of companies might love the sound of that, but in larger companies where you get sort of, there's a lot more sort of a siloed culture, yeah. it becomes harder to have that cross-organization impact. So really, our whole approach to this in terms of going towards customers was, how do we have the, the biggest impact that we can have over a broader range of customers by surfacing the right information, the right data from which, from which actions can be taken? 
Because one of the things that I think we see is the challenge is you have these, you know, almost any organization that you can work with, they're subject matter experts in that area. They're smart people. But oftentimes they're encumbered by the fact that they can't get the right information at the point at which they need to make decisions. <clears throat> and that's typically, I think, a, a friction or a frustration point for them. So our goal really now as a, as a business, as we switch to that customer model is, okay, how do we get the right information from which decisions can be made? And in certain cases with the software, we're actually providing the decision for them. So we're going beyond that initial insight. And we're saying, no, based on your business goal, here is the action that you should take. Our goal as a firm and as, as from a software standpoint is to get to that action as soon as possible so that the person who is very, you know, the more senior you get, typically the less time they have, um, they get the right information from which to make a decision as quickly as possible. I want to double click on the comment that you made about sometimes smaller clients or not as big paying clients are asking a lot. Um, I don't know if there's a best practice you have there. I don't know if there's just something you've learned over time with those type of clients. Any any just thoughts on that? So I think some of it is is making sure that you understand when you first, you know, I think we're all in, you know, by nature, when you're in an agency role or in a selling role, if someone, if you're pitching someone, your goal is to convert them and, and, and win this, you know, win the business. So I think sometimes it's a question of doing your due diligence ahead of time and saying, okay, what are good customers based on what we know historically? What's a profile of a good customer look like? What are the red flags in that process? And then probably the hardest part of it, and I'm certainly not saying that we, we always do this the right way is, or consistently is saying, actually, no, that's not good business for us. Uh, and saying based on what our strengths are. So we don't have a big team. We're not looking to, you know, to add a lot of headcount in. So we know based on the people that we talk to, the goals that they have, how willing they are under obviously mutual NDA, how willing they are to share their business goals with us and how much they really want to dig in. Those are all things that we look at as a business to determine if that's the right fit ahead of time. I think the, the next part of it is then also saying, okay, when you look at your clients, you don't want to get rid of clients. But at some point, do you actually have to say, maybe we have to have a review with that client and potentially look to fire the client, which again, not, not particularly a normal conversation because they're taking up time that could be better allocated towards uh, you know, winning other business that we know that we're better suited for or that is more profitable. So I think, again, I'm not sitting here saying that we do that necessarily even very well, but we at least have that conversation internally to say, okay, what's the right fit for us? What business do we want to take? And how does that business further where we want to go as a business? And I think that longer term mindset is, okay, there, there are clients that we may take or there may be business that we take on that if you looked at it in a microcosm, you say, hold on, Scott, that doesn't really make sense. Why did you take that client? But mm -hmm. there may be a facet of what they're doing, a channel that they're working in or something that they have from a strategic standpoint we say, actually, this is of interest to us as a firm because it allows us to start to, to test certain hypotheses that we have um, that we would like to use in that environment. And therefore, it becomes a sort of a good incubation hub for us to test certain ideas in a low risk environment where it's really a win win because the client might not get that service otherwise. But we also get sort of more data and more learning into the systems that we use. Did you ever screw that up? 
Uh, do, and, and are you able to share <laughs> the highlights of a story? To, uh, this is probably going to sound arrogant and, and disbelievable, but <laughs> there are things that we may have started to screw up, but we've, we've always been able to correct that because the one thing that we, is always our North Star is the data. And so there is a, you know, I sometimes use this and it may sound a little bit pithy, but there's a big difference between being date, you know, what is truly data driven? And I think too often what we see is somebody within an organization starts with, this is what we're going to do. Now go and find the data that supports what we've already decided we're going to do. We don't do that. We take the data and we let the data inform what it is that we should be doing. And it, it, it's, it, I don't know if that sounds nuanced or not, but there is a huge difference there because if you're data informed, it doesn't mean you don't hit bumps in the road, but it does mean that you're customer centric. It does mean that you start to find out where there may be gaps within the organization and it extends well beyond marketing. It can be, okay, are you answering your phones? I mean, again, we have clients that we've worked with, their call center wasn't, they, they didn't have enough people in the call center. And through the data, we were able to identify that as a problem. So yeah, we may have made a switch from a strategy standpoint that led to more people calling, but that hadn't then been translated operationally to say, actually, we, meet, we need more people on the phones. So those are the types of things where I say, have there been times where you know, we've taken a deep breath and going, crap, this, uh, this doesn't look, well, it's not going the way we want it to. Absolutely. But rather than, than sort of throwing a Hail Mary, what we said is, home, we go back to the data. Did we miss something? Is there something operationally that doesn't line up here that we need to bring into this model? And that's been the way that we've, you know, we've always been successful because the data has led us and we haven't gone in there thinking that we know better or with already determining what it is that we're going to do. So well, actually, so that last part is kind of what I was going to ask is, is there ever a time or a moment or a situation where you actually listen to, you know, whatever the conversation is in the meeting room rather than the data? Absolutely. Because there is always someone in an organization that, that knows things. There's always that expert. They may have been there five minutes. They may have been there 15 years. Uh, and one of the things that we do, and this is kind of looking at this more from a marketing standpoint, is we, we always want to talk to the sales guys, especially in a lead generation environment. So they know what is it that customers or prospects are saying. So you know, we obviously we were talking on a prior call about Formula One where they make these decisions based on the data. And it's like, well, is anyone looking at what's going on on the track? It's no different to business. You can be too focused on the, on the, the data and not understand what's happening in the business. So it's, it's finding that balance of have you got the right people in the room? And whether that's from a input into a software or a system or whether it's a meeting, Oftentimes, it's like, okay, you might meet with the director of marketing, or it might be about marketing automation, but you don't bring in those people that are handling those day-to-day -day operations on the ground. Um, you know, and when I worked you know, years ago, when I was back in the UK, I worked for Hilton Hotels in a regional marketing role. And I sat between the, the central marketing team uh, and the hotels and the, the, the teams that were operating the hotels. And one of the things that was always fascinating is what conceptually looked great as an offer from a marketing standpoint, you take that to the operation and they're like, well, hold on, Scott, that doesn't work. We can't bring 30 people through the door at the same time, or we only have five types of family rooms that will fit people. So that's the, the most that we can sell. We can't fill the whole hotel because we're just, the physical plant isn't, isn't set up that way. 
So I think that to us is always the important piece of this is, have you got the right people in the room? And if it's just the marketing department or it's just sales, typically the answer to that is going to be no. You want to find the person that knows the most about a given topic within your organization and try and get them to input into what it is that you're doing. Um, and that, that, that to me is, is one of the things that I find most fascinating about the job that I do and the, the work that we do is to be able to get those experts in the room in an, in an area that you don't know about and just to listen to what it is they have to say. I, I'm glad we uh, kept digging into that. It was, it was interesting. Um, and I know you guys really are focused on what you call first-party data. Do you mind just talking a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously with um, cookie deprecation happening and the signals that you were previously getting as to what's working from your, your advertising becoming harder and harder to capture, there's been a big focus on first-party data. And it Again, it's one of those ones that I think you have to unravel a little bit. So you can talk about first-party data. And oftentimes, I think it's that, well, hold on, these are already people we know. So how does that help us acquire new customers? Because ultimately, as marketers, whilst we always still hear that it's it's seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than retain one, we still continue to focus on acquiring customers. So when we focus on first-party data, it's not so much... The, the Josh or the Scott discussion, because again, with the regulations and CCPA and, and other privacy regulations, you're not going to be able to you know, use some of that, sort of mine some of that first party. Sorry, you're not going to be able to know who the person is specifically if they're not on your list. What you can do is understand, well, how did those people become first party data in the first place? So what are the attributes of that person? You know, where do they live? And when I say live, I don't mean their actual street, is street address, but what metro area are they in? In our, in our world, an audience is built of words. How many people look for the same thing using the same words? Which content did they consume on your website? What device were they on? What hour of day? What day of week? So when you sort of build all those into that a model for looking at first-party data, what we're really focusing on is it's like I said, not the Joshes or the Scots or the Marys or the Helens of the world. It's the, what is it that caused them to come to the site, to your website in the first place? What caused them to be on your email list or caused them to buy from you? And then how can you use those attributes and feed them into the targeting that you have um, in order to acquire more people that look like, you know, look like us in the general sense? So that's where our focus has always been. That's where we focus the systems. And as companies look at, okay, what does this world look like that we're changing? How do we continue to, to focus our marketing budgets? Um, oftentimes, it's being able to mine the data that companies are already sitting on top of without the need to go out and buy new data. Um, and so that's really the, a focus area for us as a firm is, okay, you're sitting on you know, assets, essentially, that give you information that you can help to reach your next customer. But are you deciphering that data in the right way in order to be able to operationalize it to say, okay, great. Now we know that Josh came to this page because he's interested in road bikes, for example. Well, how many other people out there are interested in road bikes? Well, that's one thing. That's a very high level discussion, but it might be a lightweight road bike. It might be one that's, you know, is it designed for sprinting? Is it designed for long distance? And so as you better understand what it is that somebody wants, you can then mine that data to say, okay, great. We know that there's an audience of people that look for this type of bike. 
there's enough of them. There's 2,000 people who are looking for that every month in, let's say it's in the Colorado area or it's Denver, wherever it may be. Great. Let's focus our targeting in that area based on what we've learned from our first party data. So that's really what we focus on. And, and when you decipher it all down, it's really as simple again as I go back to it. It's, it's listening to what it is that customers want and then making sure in traditional sort of marketing terms that you're there. I think the challenge that we see today and one of the, I'm not saying it's a caution, is you know, companies that target the whole of the United States. And they don't necessarily look at that and say, well, hold on. Now let's look at our first party data or our customer data. How many people have we sold to in a given state or in a given metro area? And then how much of our marketing spend is going into those areas? And you suddenly find from an efficiency standpoint that you've spread yourself too thin. And that actually, if you're really strong in Pennsylvania or if you're really strong in Texas or Idaho, wherever it may be, well, what if you focus your dollars into those states where you know that you've sold historically? you'll likely have a greater level of success by focusing your budget into a specific area as opposed to just hoping and you know looking at the size of the country and saying, great, we're just going to spread our dollars everywhere because it's such a big audience. So I think that's and, the uh, thing. Oh, sorry. And then what kind of tools, uh, like reporting tools, are you using to collect all that data? So a lot of it, we have connections through various APIs. So we're you know, tying into Google's APIs, whether that's Google Ads, Google Search Console, Microsoft Ads, Facebook. So from what we do, a lot of it is we're pulling that data in directly into the systems that we've developed and into the Orgmetrics platform. With that said, we also work with clients who are using a wide variety of tools. So from a CRM standpoint, yeah, we're always in marketing automation. We're seeing HubSpot. We're seeing Salesforce visualization, tableaus common, you get other reporting dashboards, like say something like a Ninja Cat, and then increasingly now looking at data warehouses um, and understanding, okay, well, is someone pushing their data into a Databricks platform or into Snowflake? So the advantage we get from that client front end is that we get the ability to see all the different tools that are being used. The, The role that we really play is to understand Let's get the right data down that solves a specific business goal. You know, we're not trying to to boil the ocean of data. Um, you know, it's little old us. We're not going to do that. We're very, very focused on specific. What's the business goal? And then what's the data that you need in order to address that business goal? And in that instance, everything else goes away. And so from a reporting standpoint, whether that's inside of our platforms or whether it's pulling data from whatever it is our clients are using, we spoke. We focus on very, very specific data sets relevant to the problem at hand, not just trying to say, "Hey, let's look at everything." Because again, you can throw huge computing power at that, but it's inherently fairly inefficient when it comes to solving you know, very, very specific problems. No, I think that uh, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, and something I think a lot of people it'd be valuable for them to hear. Um, a couple just close out a few closeout questions. Um, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? <laughs> Don't listen to me. Um, no, no <laughs> seriousness. Sorry, English humor coming through there. I think listening in all senses of the word. Um, and it, this is sort of a the, the key thing, and this was taught to me through a number of the, the, the bosses that I've had over the years and also at Adworthy, is always ask where the data came from. Okay, you, you someone's given you a report. Someone's given you a recommendation. Just because you trust that person and you like that person or because it came out of a machine, it doesn't mean it's the right data that you should be judging your decisions on. 
So always ask about where that data originated. Is it all of the data? Did somebody filter that data down? That's the one thing that I would always say. And it's something early on in my career I didn't do because, oh, well, it's, it's Sarah and I like Sarah and I trust Sarah. She gave me the data. It must be right. As I've gone through my career, it's like, look, Sarah may be the best person on the planet, but she may not know where that data came from. So always focus in on sort of original source of entry. Do you know where the data came from? Is it all of the data? And then the decisions that you're making, at least you have the ability to know that it's you know, what you're making a decision based on. And someone hasn't given you a subset of data that skews what it is that you get to you know, see or make a decision on. And uh, any books, podcasts, any content, uh, whether it's marketing focused, business focused, anything focused that you'd recommend? No, I need recommendations myself, really. I, uh, it's one of those things I always like to spend more, more time looking at this stuff than actually I do. One thing that I do, and it's slightly left field, and you can, you can tell me to be quiet at any point, but I also think it's important to you know, find some balance. So like, there's a guy called Dan Harris that started a pod course, podcast called 10% Happier, um, and he's out towards the, sort of the, the meditation realm. Yep, yep, there's yep. some interesting things, I think, where you look tangentially at other people that are, are successful. And I always like to look at, okay, who's, who's successful? What are the tools that they mm. have? Because I think we all face more stress now, especially you know, as courtesy of the pandemic and, and what's happened. So how do you, I'm always interested in how do you maintain a high performance level mm. while still trying to find, I'm going to use the word balance and then I'm going to correct myself because someone who I've worked with for a long time, who I've got a lot of respect for, talked about work-life blend. And I like that phrase more purely because balance is they're opposing forces. And I'm getting older now and I've kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, balance is hard to attain. How do you blend it so that you're, you know, you're present in what you're doing at any given time? And especially with you know, three young kids, that's increasingly challenging. So for me, it's about being focusing 100% on what I'm doing at a given time um, and not trying to sort of offset things as I go because over time, I just don't think that's necessarily realistic. I believe that guy, um, I believe he had a panic attack on TV and yeah. then that's kind of what got him into this route. And then he turned it into what I know is a very successful podcast. So I think that was a great recommendation. Yeah. And he has, you know, I, I don't know how far he's into it now, but he has fascinating guests, you know, on that podcast and, it, and it's not, it's done from a, I'll say a cynical perspective that, that I appreciate. It's done from a questioning perspective. It's done from how do I, you know, how do successful people use this and not just accepting that it's an, something that will change your life overnight? It's like, how do you incorporate it into your life and, and does it actually work? And I think that's, you know, it's fascinating to hear different perspectives on that, which he, he does well. Yeah, I, I, I love his podcast. Uh, and as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, mention how people can find you uh, and anything else you'd like to end with. No, thank you. Um, yeah, no, feel free. It's a, it's a soft launch site right now called augmetrics.com. That's A U G. M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com. Um, that's sort of the, the new product that we're going to market with. Obviously, adworthy.com, you can kind of find out more about the company as a whole and some of our more sort of agency-specific services. And again, feel free to, to reach out to me to direct. Uh, my email address is s-ellis, E-L-L-I-S, at adworthy.com. So always happy to, to have a discussion and, and you know, talk to like-minded or not like-minded people about you know, some of the topics we discussed today. Awesome. And uh, we'll put those links in the show notes. But uh, I really want to appreciate you coming on the show. And I hope everyone has a great day. Cool. Thanks for your time, Josh. Appreciate you having me.
That was great. Uh, that might have been, I think that might have been the best one. I, I did say that on the last episode because I did think the last episode was the best one. Uh, I Whether whether I'm getting better or something, I, honestly, it's not me. You are so freaking good at answering questions. It's bonkers. Uh, you go into so I, much detail and you're so easy to pick questions based on what you say. Like sometimes, you know, that's what I always want to do is I want to pick questions based on that topic, not just go down my list of questions. Yeah. And you were so freaking easy at that like and it was so good and then and then i asked a question and you brought up data i was like oh perfect like that's the best transition i could have ever asked for uh so uh, yeah i i don't want to take too much of your time i know you're trying to run but i really appreciate uh the time uh we'll do everything for you production everything like that i don't think there was a moment that we want to take out unless correct me if i'm wrong there um we'll send you an email when it's done it's got all the share links it'll tell you how you can share it and all that kind of stuff if you want to well no like i thoroughly enjoyed talking to you let's continue that conversation because i think we have a lot of fun there but thanks for having me on i do appreciate it i i appreciate it. yes let's uh, so if we can grab lunch or something i would i would definitely like that and, and just continue talking about our initial conversation no definitely let's do that thanks for listening to the masters in marketing agency podcast i hope you got a ton of value out of this episode and before we go i just want to thank our sponsors dev noodle DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.